The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Hello and welcome to the Credit Edge, a weekly markets podcast. My name is James Crombie. I'm a senior editor at Bloomberg. Today's guests are Jill Shah, who covers leveraged finance for Bloomberg News in New York. We're delighted to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. We're also very pleased to welcome Rob Schiffman, who covers tech for Bloomberg Intelligence, also in New York. Favorite part of my day. Tech is my life. Call me. That's what it says on Rob's bio page on the Bloomberg terminal. We'll be coming back to tech in a little bit. Lots of exciting stuff going on in that sector right now, and Rob's all over it. So I look forward to chatting with him in a bit. But first, Jill Shah with Bloomberg News. You've been digging deep into credit market risks. First Republic was the most recent blow up in the financial sector. And I was listening to the panels at this year's Milken conference in Beverly Hills. Everyone said it was going to be okay. The banking crisis is over, but it really doesn't seem that way. I mean, Western Alliance and PacWest have also come under a lot of pressure. Maybe the bankers are protesting too much. A lot of companies are running into trouble at the moment with interest rates rising and the economy slowing down, potentially tipping into recession. Inflation and volatility in the financial sector don't help. A lot of regional banks are really struggling right now. A corporate credit crunch is starting, according to your headline, Jill. What's the level of stress right now in credit markets? What should we be worried about? I think the biggest sign of the stress in credit markets right now is actually among small businesses. So we have a ton of of data, survey data, that shows that small businesses are facing the toughest lending conditions they've seen in some time. And that's also showing up in bankruptcy rates. So uh, bankruptcies among small businesses have spiked. Uh, If you look at sort of the businesses that are 100 million in assets and above, uh, they have sort of the highest bankruptcy rates among the private companies. So so that's really a sign that some of this interest rate hiking is catching up, inflation is catching up. And now, you know, these businesses really depend on regional banks for, for lending, including CNI loans. So so we know that regional banks are also tightening their standards and, and that's going to hit those businesses first. So small businesses, what do we mean by that? Are these mom and pop uh, corner stores or is it uh, bigger than that? What are we talking about when we talk about small businesses? So the bankruptcy data, sorry, I said 100 million and I meant uh, with at least 10 million in assets. So these are really important businesses to the economy. Um, People don't know this, but a large percentage of Americans are employed by small business. uh, And it's important to look at that. And, And these stresses are, you know, forecasted to spread soon to larger corporate credit markets, um, the kinds that you and I deal with, such as high-yield bonds and leverage loans as well. So the stress at the bottom somehow rises to the top. Um, Credit is getting tighter all around. Everyone is uh, suffering. What are the signs, though, that things are actually getting worse? I think that the spike this first quarter was notable. Um, Some of the survey data that shows that uh, 
owners are having more business owners are having more trouble accessing credit. And, you know, really the main sign is going to come in May when we get the senior loan officer survey, um, which is a a Fed data point that's really going to show sort of how the, what the pullback in lending is going to look like. Uh, for now, we do have to rely on some of this survey data and it doesn't look too good. And when we say the spike, what are we talking about? The spike in bankruptcies, the spike in just general stress? I mean, how are we measuring that? Uh, it's bankruptcies among private companies that have really spiked. So uh, I'll, just one data point here, you know, they jumped to an average of 7.8 each week by late February, and the peak in the pandemic was 4.5. Okay. So that's quite a sizable increase. Definitely worrying. Is it 2008 all over again? I don't quite think so yet. Um, you know, so far, the obviously, we do see signs of more regional banks going under, but it has been fairly contained, uh, and the bigger banks have done okay. Uh, that said, some of the bigger banks are bracing for more bad loans. So we saw Citigroup say that they were going to double what they'd set aside for bad loans. Morgan Stanley is quadrupling um, those provisions for credit losses. Um, it's not as widespread as it was in 2008. Uh, so that's why most people are calling it a crunch or a contraction rather than a crisis. But there are certainly some resemblances. I mean, I rem- remember the dark days of 2008 very well. I'm sure Rob does as well. But, um, you know, we have a lot of stress on the banking sector. We've got pressure from rising rates. And then there's this whole debt ceiling debate, which is uh, extremely worrying um, and seemingly worse than it has been in previous years. Um, are there other triggers that, that you think you know we should be looking out for, other events that we should be watching for, other things that might tip us over the edge? Certainly a more banks failing would be like a big big trigger in this arena. There's a, a good amount of stress in that sector. You know, most regional banks are facing funding and deposit pressure. They're really worried about liquidity. And so um, the more banks we see sort of succumb to that pressure, uh, you know, that's going to impact their lending, their books, um, the customers and businesses that rely on them. And yet every time we see a blow up, even Credit Suisse, markets just come bouncing right back. So uh, be very interesting to watch what really pushes us over this time. Yeah, it's funny that right now, if you do look at the corporate credit markets, the junk market and the leveraged loan market, they appear to be shrugging off some of this risk. And most of that is a technical. So there's been a supply demand imbalance in those markets. Investors are sitting on a lot of cash um, and they're eager to deploy it. So, so far, you know, though we've seen obviously the default rates tick up in those markets too, uh, they're not really quite close to long-term averages. But people do expect that that's going to change. Um, And another thing to point out is that, you know, while the high yield market has gotten stronger in terms of composition, higher quality, better rated names, the leveraged loan market has not. Uh, in fact, the companies that are sitting at that B minus, cuspy, you know, about to tip over into triple C category are at the highest in some time, about 25%. And remember, once you tip into that triple C category, you are effectively cut off from a large amount of your buyer base. Um, and so those companies are really going to face a lot of trouble refinancing. And those maturity walls, they've been sort of pretty far out so far, uh, but they're coming up quickly. Just going back to the bankruptcy point, I mean, just to play devil's advocate for a minute, isn't this all good for the long term? I mean, a lot of these companies going bust, they were zombies that were sort of, you know, roaming through unsustainable capital structures. And, and they'd been going for way too long, just through, through years and years of cheap debt, just getting more and more unsustainable. 
and the pandemic certainly hit a lot of them and made things even you know more precarious so you know creative destruction let them die have the money flow to the winners get get the get the money reallocated to proper productive parts of the economy i mean there is obviously an awful social cost and there's an emotional attachment for for people like us that re remember radio shack and all those other you know great shops to go to but you know at the risk of sounding heartless does it really matter you know, I think this is going to become the big question. So obviously, the, to some extent, the Fed wants this, right? They 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 want some of some of these names and some of these companies to to go bust because they have been relying on an era of interest rates that's been really quite um, low for so long, and and money has been quite easy. Uh, I think. Whether that happens in a very sort of severe recessionary way, in a hard landing sort of way, or in a, a softer path is is going to be become the big question. Because if you do have a really tight contraction of lending standards, you do see things like the unemployment rate go up. You do see an impact on the real economy, the main street. And, um, and that's going to mean that like a recovery out of the recession will be tougher and longer. Very interesting. So before we talk to Rob Schiffman at Bloomberg Intelligence, what's the next big story to watch on your beat, Jill? What else should we be watching for in credit markets? One thing that I've been interested in, you know, I do cover the leveraged loan market specifically, and there are names in the leveraged loan market that are loan-only borrowers. So if you think about these borrowers, they're kind of in the leveraged loan market for the first time. That's the first big corporate credit market that they're accessing. Um, and they only have loans on their balance sheet, which means they're really exposed to interest rates because those loans, of course, are floating rate. Um, and those are largely sponsor-owned businesses, meaning they're owned by private equity. They're smaller. Um, and I think that they're going to face some real distress. Uh, and, you know, right now, the market, according to some data from Morgan Stanley, doesn't seem to be pricing in that risk. Uh, so I'm really curious as to whether that becomes a differentiator, um, you know, loan-only borrowers versus bond and loan borrowers. And the other thing to mention is that those loan-only borrowers also rely on regional banks, right? So, so some of the other loans that they're getting are from regional bank lenders in the form of CNI loans and so on. Um, so could it be that they're facing a pressure both from the regional lending side as well as the leveraged loan side? Um, and I think we'll see a lot more of that going forward. Great stuff. Jill Shah from Bloomberg News, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Read all of Jill's scoops on the Bloomberg Terminal and, of course, at Bloomberg.com. Moving on to another big topic, as I mentioned earlier, we are very fortunate to have with us Rob Schiffman from Bloomberg Intelligence, who covers technology. What's going on with tech, Rob? We're only hearing bad news at the moment, not just from the banks. Meta, Lyft, Amazon, they're all announcing layoffs. IBM CEO said 30% of back office jobs could be replaced by AI and automation over the next five years. What signals are we getting from earnings right now, Rob? Is it all bad? Well, James, podcasts are supposed to be uplifting. So let's move away from this depressing, uh, concerned conversation and get into a, little, a few things that are a little bit more positive. Quite frankly, I've been bullish on the tech space since I started covering it about 100 years ago. And I would say at this point in time, I've never been more bullish on tech credit than I am today. You know, in fact, I think a lot of the things that you just mentioned are, are a little bit more looking backwards than looking forwards. Um, and some of those backwards looking views like layoffs mean that uh, future profits and cash flow 
are going to be higher. I'm actually starting to see with first quarter earnings uh, signs of a trough, uh, indications that we're starting to bottom out. And quite frankly, part of the reason why we've seen much uh, such a massive equity rally to start the year is because expectations got so low, um, people love to uh, go overboard when thinking about the good or the bad. Uh, we're seeing a real bounce back because numbers and sentiment are improving. Um, so I think there's actually a lot more upside here uh, than there is downside. So, but aren't we just kicking a can though, Rob? I mean, the last quarter wasn't as bad as expected, but how does the rest of the year look? I mean, we're going to recession. Markets are getting tougher. As Jill says, credit's getting tighter. Inflation is going to hit consumer demand. Why should we be hopeful? Well, listen, you know, returns in, in credit are a matter of multiple things. It's duration, it's rates, it spreads. You know, we're seeing total returns across the board, high yield and IG, positive this year. So let, let's get away from the doom and gloom that everything is so bad. From a spread perspective, we're sort of flat, um, which implies that we probably got too wide last year. Um, I think you're right from a fundamental perspective. We're going to continue to see year-over-year declines uh, across the board uh, for top-line EBITDA and free cash flow. But again, as analysts, what we're doing is we're looking forward. I think the, you know, we're, we're again, we're seeing green shoots of, of increased demand returning. Now, I'll just give you one example. Uh, Uber just reported, and they had their best quarter of all time. You would think if we're heading into a recession, fewer and fewer people would be utilizing the service economy. And in fact, it's not that case. Maybe people are buying less refrigerators. Maybe people are buying less cars. And even for the short term, maybe enterprise customers are buying less cloud services. Um, But there are some subsegments of the tech uh, space that are still doing extraordinarily well. And, 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 and it's not all ride shares. You know, Uber's dominating Lyft. Um, but you're, you're seeing bits and pieces of that across the board showing improvement. You know, even from the cloud perspective, the rates of growth that we're seeing um, are meaningfully lower than they were in the past. But they're still positive. And what that means for credit is that free cash flow is still being cranked out. I think actually we're going to go from this how much worse are we going to get? What recessionary pressures are we going to see? To what is big tech going to do with their cash in the second half of the year or in 2024? We're already starting to see evidence that excess cash is building. Uh, Alphabet announced a $70 billion addition to their buyback program. Meta announced a $40 billion addition to their buyback program. We're seeing companies access the credit markets as not like this is 2008, um, but like this is 2018. The market is wide open for for funding. Um, Tens of billions of dollars are available, albeit at higher costs of capital, but not enough to to change what I think is momentum of excess free cash flow means we're going to actually see more M&A and larger shareholder returns in the second half of the year. I do want to get back to that that funding issue. But before we do, other than Uber, who else does well in this kind of environment? Is it just the utilities? I mean, I'm I'm obsessed by my phone. I've got it in my hand. I have to have it. I have to pay for that. But but what other tech companies do well? Listen, it's a matter of when you're talking about doing well, it's a matter of relative. Um, 
you know, if 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 Apple sells a couple hundred million iPhones this quarter and it's 10 million iPhones less than they did last quarter, is that bad? Well, from an equity perspective, maybe it's 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 bad because it's all about growth and rates of growth. From a credit perspective, it's all about cash generation. And I think that um, you know, we have never seen tech credits rated as high as they are today. We just came through a multi-year cycle of nothing but upgrades, and we're seeing little to few downgrades. In fact, we did a webinar with S&P's global tech team, and they, they indicated that not one low triple B name on their on their radar screen is at risk to going to junk. And, 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 and what that means is that everybody here is doing well. I don't care if it's a semiconductor name from AMD to NVIDIA that's seeing short-term declines in revenue. In a very quick period of time, cycles turn. And th- those those cycles in the tech space are not two to three years. They're two to three quarters. And I, I think we're going to see in the second quarter probably a trough of fundamentals. So whether it's semiconductors, whether it's cloud businesses, even even social media and advertising-rated businesses like Meta or Search like Google, you're going to see meaningful second-half improvement um, because we're already starting to see that. Once once managements start talking about seeing the bottom, it generally means we've seen the bottom. Um, and it takes a little bit of time for the market to sort of catch up to that because they want to see some evidence. But I'm actually again seeing it, whether it's services, software, hardware, semis, um, almost across the board, uh, we're seeing improvement. There are still some pockets, um, you know, uh, and memory chips, for instance, that are still weak, PC sales that are still weak. But in general, you know, big cap tech is so well diversified. Um, it's only a few companies that are are really struggling with those issues. So I just think it's line item by line item. Um, there's much there's much more uh, upside reward than downside risk. There's nothing out there you'd avoid in terms of companies. Well, yeah, there's you know there's a few smaller names that we we generally don't like. Again, in the memory space, names like uh, Western Digital and Seagate are going to continue to struggle. Um, but in general, listen, I'm more of a big cap sort of guy, and from big cap credit, um, the the real downside is relative upside. Tech already trades really tight to everything else, so the way that tech generally outperforms is when people are worried about the banking industry, people are worrying about lending standards, people are worried about um, other names going out of business, and volatility increases. So tech is really the new safe haven. Quite frankly, it's the old safe haven, and people don't think about it that way because they generally think about equities and volatility. But when it comes to credit, the trading ranges are much lower. So tech will underperform when credit markets are rallying. They'll outperform where credit markets are selling off. Um, so if Joe's right, and you know there's pockets of weakness um, and across banking, that's going to affect a, a, a lot of different players. It's probably going to gr- it could grow from some of these smaller players to some of these even larger high yield names. Um, but that's where tech will benefit and outperform. You mentioned they're generating a lot of cash, um, but you know Meta just raised eight and a half billion dollars in the bond market. Yeah, why raise debt now? I mean, funding costs have doubled since the start of last year. Um, why pay up when you don't really need the money? Yeah, I'm going to say a phrase that hopefully becomes a, a catchphrase because no one's 
probably ever heard this before, but you, you borrow money when you can, not when you have to. You know, people should write that down. People are going to use that in the future. So listen, the cost of capital has gone up by a couple hundred basis points over the, the last two years, not because of spread movements, but because of the Fed. Um, but when you think about a weighted average cost of capital for large cap, cap tech, it's basically zero. Uh, at least from the from the debt perspective. So what what is what are names like Meta doing? Well, the reason why they want extra capital is because they're boosting their share buybacks. They're more than willing to spend more money uh, on buybacks than free cash flow and lever the balance sheet because they can utilize uh, their AA ratings at a really really low cost. In in fact, what it says is how confident they are in the future of their business that they can lever up now because over time through EBITDA growth, they can eventually delever. And that's been the pattern um, with big tech. I mean, why does Apple keep borrowing? You know, why do they have over $100 billion of debt uh, when they're generating, you know, 70, 80, $90 billion a year of free cash? Because they're going to they're going to give shareholders back more than that because they can, because they're Every single year, you know, we used this analogy a couple of years ago. It's like going out for dinner and you, you get a, a, a glass of wine and you're halfway done and the waiter comes back and he refills your glass. That's that's big tech cash flow. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it just keeps getting refilled. So the cost of capital right now, it's higher than it was, but it's still really, really cheap. I wouldn't be surprised um, if we continue to see this. This is, you know, names like Meta are not like an Intel where they actually have real business struggles because CapEx is so high. Um, you know, the vast majority of, of, of names, whether it's Microsoft or Apple, Broadcom, you know, they're borrowing money because, you know, they're, they're making cost of capital plays um, and they're doing it primarily to boost their stock. The beauty for me is from a credit perspective that leverage really doesn't go that much higher um, and you don't see credit volatility. If, if you do, whenever we see pockets of volatility, whether it's through M&A or people get scared because of buybacks, you know, that's generally one when we want to double down on credit. Stock buybacks, though, they're good for equity holders, but don't the bond holders end up losing? Well, it's not a mat necessarily a a, a a win-lose game. It could be a, a win-win. I, I would prefer, obviously, for um, companies to use their capital to invest back in the business and grow cash flow or buy cash flow generating assets via M&A. But the reality is there are so many regulatory headwinds that it's very difficult to do a scale size transaction that will make a difference without the government sticking their nose in and saying no. We're seeing that with Microsoft and Activision right now. It seems like you know the the UK government is looking years ahead about uh, about cloud gaming um, being a gating factor when it's just not one today. And I think companies are just getting shyer in terms of using capital for M&A because it ties them up for a year, creates regulatory headaches, and they can't focus on their business. So the simple thing is, is, giving, it, is giving it back without impacting the balance sheet. And the government thought they can get ahead of this by putting on a buyback tax of 1%, and it hasn't stopped anybody. Um, so unless they raise that buyback tax, you know, something closer to 10%, I think that's going to be the pattern. And and during this, this cycle of massive shareholder returns, uh, the largest buyback cycle in the history of corporate credit, again, we've seen nothing but credit upgrades. And when you look across the highest rated names across the entire high grade index, it's not going to be uh, very long before you get to 
all of these tech names. You know, it's no longer banks. It's no longer the Exxon Mobiles and J&Js of the world. It's Microsoft. It's Amazon. It's Apple. It's even Meta. You know, if you're putting together a, um, a Mount Rushmore credit, it's going to be primarily tech heavy um, than it's going to be anything else. It all sounds very, very rosy, and that's why I love talking to you, Rob. You're the least uh, downbeat um, credit person out there, and it's always uplifting to hear hear your words. But what really keeps you up worrying at night? I mean, what are the risks? You have to, as a credit guy, be worried about something. Yeah, of course. You know, I think it's it really is this more much more of a macro issue. Um, I don't think there's a ton of company specific risk, at least within my world. But what I'm I'm really fearful of is that there's some underlying black swan tail risk. And primarily, you know, we always come back to where we started with the banking sector. Like, if banks are not lending, if banks are failing, the whole house of cards crumble. So I worry about banks. I worry about war. um, I worry about existential threats more so than idiosyncratic Let's hope that those things don't happen. Thank you very much, Rob Schiffman of Bloomberg Intelligence. You can read all of his analysis on the Bloomberg Terminal or just call him. Tech is his life, after all. And thanks again to Jill Shah from Bloomberg News. Read all of her scoops on the Terminal and at Bloomberg.com. I'm James Crombie. It's been a pleasure having you. See you next week on The Credit Edge. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.